and everyone has the ability to try that thing. And the thing that really like that separates that sometimes some people don't take that step is their mind, their mind, they're feeding into those thoughts of the bad thoughts of like, well, this is going to work out. And like, for me, it was, I mean, your mind is, it can be your best asset. And sometimes it is my weakest downfall too, as an athlete, but it's, how you're there's a lot of power in words and how you uh, approach something so in my mind i've learned to learn this and you're like if you just say okay you know right now i don't want to accept this door is closed it might be cracked open but this one is wide open maybe like like my so like my strength coach said to you like sh- like think of the best case scenario, think of the worst case scenario, you're probably gonna land somewhere halfway in the middle. And that's kind of how I've tried to approach that too, because it's gonna, and then you can work from there, but just not letting your mind and your thoughts and feeding into the negative side of the what ifs. And I also hate to live life by what if, because what if you never walk through that? That snippet was from Oksana Masters, who's today's guest on the Chase Jarvis Live Show. Oksana was born in Ukraine in 1989 and faced all kinds of physical challenges due predominantly to in utero radiation poisoning from the Chernobyl accident. After living in a number of orphanages, Oksana was adopted at the age of seven by an American woman, a solo single parent who helped transform Oksana's life. Now, the spirit that you are going to feel in this show today is powerful. We make several references to the the most spicy pepper in the world, I think is the ghost pepper. Um, and it's for a reason. Oksana is a force of nature. We talk about her overcoming a lot of the challenges that she had at birth uh, on the road to becoming one of the most storied uh, Paralympic athletes of all time. I think 17 medals across four sports But that's really the surface of this story. This is a story of overcoming, of resilience, of finding oneself, of learning to love oneself, and using all of the tools that we have within us, specifically adaptability, to reach our dreams. And Oksana is living inspiration. Not only is she um, kind and thoughtful and very articulate in how she has managed across, um, again, from uh, an, you know the challenges early in life, but she's also a very, very <laughs> spicy pepper, and she's not afraid to say her, speak her mind, which is something that I appreciate. Um, I can't wait for you to enjoy this super authentic, um, wide-ranging conversation. Again, everything from her childhood to what it's like to stand on the podium, uh, her background as a Ukrainian, uh, and it's very, very insightful. I can't wait to share it with you. I'm going to get out of the way so you can enjoy my conversation with Oksana Masters. So happy to have you today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chase, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, well, it is book launch week for you, which is for, <laughs> for any author, it's a lot. But to say that would be a lot relative to what a wild ride uh, I've come to understand your life has been from your latest book. Uh, I'm wondering if you can start off for those in our audience who are new to you and or your work and your life and your message, if you can start off by just giving us a little background. Who are you? You know, why are you here today? Um. Well, so... I'll start where I'm right now and then kind of work a little backwards, but I'm a six-time Paralympian, 17-time Paralympic medalist across a few different sports because I just don't like to make up my mind, and so why not do them all? <laughs> so I competed in the Paralympics in rowing, cycling, cross-country skiing, and biathlon. And what, why I'm in the Paralympics is because I'm a double above knee amputee, and I became that through my birth defects I was when I was born in Ukraine. And it was the radiation exposure from Chernobyl that caused me to have a whole slew of things going on with my body from head to my hair. And um, I, my life all started through the adoption of my mom who adopted me as a single parent. And yeah, it's kind of like a little bit where I am now going back. And then, yeah, and then the hard parts, my memoir, I just, oh my gosh, we're talking about the book. And it just sounds 
makes my heart just race hearing the word book and knowing I have a book <laughs> and I'm an author now. <laughs> well, there is obviously a ton to unpack there. Um, I, I'll start where you started, which is one of your main identifiers is a 17-time Paralympian medalist, which by my records, I think that's all-time all-time leader. So it's the so I'm a 14-time Paralympic medals in the Winter Games, and that's where I'm the most decorated Olympic or Paralympic athlete for Team USA. 14. But there are incredible <laughs> athletes that are um, past me, and I oh, come definitely on. come on. This is this is about you. No, no, no. Admire them. <laughs> no, no, no. Nothing short of incredible. Uh, <laughs> the other attribute, which is uh, fascinating. Uh, to me, as a lifelong athlete and someone who uh, this show um, chases greatness and people who have persevered um, and maximized human performance, for example, to do that across four sports is equally shocking. So I'm interested in I, I, I think obviously the rest of your story going back to your birth in the Ukraine and being adopted uh we got a lot of ground to cover, but how <laughs> how does one achieve that level of greatness, of success, to be able to compete at the highest level across four different disciplines? What are some of the ingredients that you feel like were or have been present for you, your life, your community? How, how does one do that? That sounds impossible, frankly. <laughs> yeah, it definitely. Well, I never set out to compete in four different sports at the Paralympic level. I just have a problem when I start something new, I set the bar unrealistically high and try and see if I can achieve it and see how close I get to it. And I've been pretty lucky that I've had an incredible team around me from my mom and my fiance and our team from all the different sports. And just it all started with my rowing coach in Louisville, Kentucky, Bobby Hurley, who really believed in me for the first time. And then I also had coaches and people who didn't believe I would make it to that elite international team USA Paralympic level athlete. And that kind of motivated me to prove them wrong to say, to kind of show that there's no perfect body type for one to do a sport because I am smaller in my physique and I don't look like a jacked athlete. I get that and I've accepted it now, but I want to show that for that, like those people that, um, are in the same boat and they're like considered the underdogs that are maybe overlooked and want to prove you can use those things that maybe society or the coach or somebody thinks that is gonna not gonna be a, like a limiting factor for you to get to where you want to go like well you've got another secret weapon because only you and your body can possess that you can bring to the table in that sport and i had that support from my coach from Louisville Rowing Club there, and my mom was so persistent in me trying sports. And also the other thing too, I don't, it, it was just, I think it's all a mixture of, of my background, of where I came from, how I grew up and what was my normal. And I didn't realize these were attributes that an athlete needs and what makes them like being resilient, being determined and just, um, when you get knocked back down just to keep going and fighting for that next day. And that the four sports happened because I never let, there was those doors that were getting shut in my face. So I loved rowing. It was my favorite sport. I started when I was 13, finally made it in 2012 to the Paralympic level competing in it. But then in 2013, I ended up injuring my back and that door closed forever for me. I had no idea other sports in the Paralympics existed. So I'm like, oh my gosh, what else am I going to do now? And opportunities of cross-country skiing and biathlon came up and other sports. And instead of saying no, I took that leap of faith just to try it and see. Because at that time, I was so determined to make it back to rowing and not believe that that path was over for me. But then just... I think it was just not being afraid of walking through that unknown door and never knowing where it's going to lead. And no idea led me to do four sports. 
this this is a theme uh, through the book, right? This willingness to try. And right now, there are so many people who who are listening right now or watching, and there are these things in their lives that they are telling themselves, if I could just, you know, fill in the blank. And while they may be attached to the outcome, I think psychology, sports psychology, human psychology says that even beginning the effort, even just starting to try unlocks so many things. Yeah. I'm wondering where do you, you know, attribute this, um, if you're, if you're exceptional at one thing, we've, you've already highlighted this and this idea, this willingness to try, um, you highlighted in that, this last little 90 second, um, bit that you just share with us that, you know, when one door closes and what other people think, there are a handful of different points that you made. I'm wondering, is there any one thing that you feel like gives you permission or that you give yourself permission to try? Is there something that underpins that? Is this just in you? Is this in everyone? What's some advice that you would share? Because right now there's someone listening who's not doing the thing that they desperately want to be doing in this world. I think honestly, it's in everyone. Everyone has the ability to, to just, to try that thing. And the thing that really, like, that separates, that sometimes some people don't take that step is their mind, their mind. They're feeding into those thoughts of, the bad thoughts of like, well, this isn't gonna work out. And like, for me, it was, I mean, your mind is, it can be, your best asset and sometimes it is my weakest downfall too as an athlete but it's how you're there's a lot of power in words and how you uh, approach something so in my mind i've learned to learn this and if you're like if you just say okay you know right now i don't want to accept this door is closed it might be cracked open but this one is wide open maybe like like my so like my strength coach said to you like sh like think of the best case scenario think of the worst case scenario you're probably going to land somewhere halfway in the middle and that's kind of how i've tried to approach that too because it's gonna and then you can work from there but just not letting your mind and your thoughts and feeding into the negative side of the what ifs and i also hate to live life by what if because what if you never walk through that and then you then you start to wonder that way and um and that's kind of what happened to me in sports. I'm like, well, I don't want to live my life knowing what if I never moved out to Florida, left home everything I knew to try and pursue the sport. What if I became, what if I become to where I am now? And, or what if I didn't and stayed where I was comfortable and didn't know? Like, I can't imagine that. But also, not to get on the tangent. No, but we're here for the tangents. <laughs> I also am one of those people I've learned, and I think it's because for the first seven years of my life, I've lived in very uncomfortable situations and have learned and been forced to adapt on the fly. And and being someone with a disability, you're fo always worried and focused about, like, how do you adapt to your environment? How do you adapt to thrive in society? Because it's not created for you. It's not created for my body, for someone with no legs above the knees. And that constantly being in that state where i'm always having to adapt where i'm always have sometimes like in ukraine having back against the wall and need to fight for things it became a very familiar place for me and so instead of living in all those and what a lot of people may consider as really sad and depressing and challenging i learned to use that as i've been here before i know exactly what to do from here and use that as a tool to and that, that helped me from going from sport to sport. When I go from having a great season, I go from having a successful, being successful at one sport and then starting completely over and just being the underdog again. And I love something in that moment where you're starting all over. Nothing's been decided. And you learn more about yourself that you're adding to like that tool bag, you're adding to your traits that you're then going to apply to. In my mind, I I hope to think I'm doing that. But then, of course, I'm always like, oh, my God, today's awful. Why am I doing this? <laughs> well, thank you for being uh, somewhat accessible to the to us mere mortals. So uh, is there, I want to, you know, excavate this a little bit. 
what are some specific things that you have done, whether it's sort of meditation, mindfulness, visualization, um, you know, sports psychology? Well, I, I don't pretend to know, but what are some things, some tactics that you have done or would advocate others investigate to be able to put themselves as you have put yourself in this position where adaptability is the norm, where being an underdog is a value, where like, what are some of the tools? Are, are there mental tools that you have employed that you feel like have made the difference? Um, that's really interesting. I think something that I've started doing more recently and more consistently is doing a lot more breath work mm. and working on mindfulness. And I started this in 2000 like 17 and that really because it's so um we started working with a sports psychology because our bi sport biathlon it's you go from physical to shooting and you can hear the people next to you shooting on the mat you hear the announcers you know exactly where you are and so it's um we learned a lot to work on like laser focus onto your process and zoning in and through that I never really realized how much of just stress alone and not having, like it can be as small as when I started out doing mindfulness. I'm one of those people I don't like to sit still. I just, I, well, I do, but on those times when I'm feeling like, okay, I just want Netflix and hang out and not do anything, not move from my couch. But then 90% of the time I want to be moving. But there's so much power that I gained as an athlete that helped me get to that gold medal level that I was lacking and it was through mindfulness and taking I started out at two minutes because I laid there and I'm like oh my gosh thinking about everything letting my thoughts go and then transition to five minutes and just taking like 15-20 minutes to yourself to be mindful and that can be mindfulness doesn't have to like you don't have to just picture things it's like I focus on my breath and focusing on my body and how each moment feels and you're more present in that specific moment and that is key and then the one thing I've always done is just every night before any big event or anything this is kind of sound like it's going to contradict a little bit but I I do a lot of visualization techniques mm. and I think it's not something that you do in sports you can do it to a presentation you can do it in like okay i'm visualizing myself acing this test and going through and i in that moment i'm visualizing how calm i am and just really focusing on those small details but then i think a lot of people don't know that a lot like i told this to my sports like cops and he's like oh interesting okay but he's very positive and i was like i also picture if something goes wrong and then i follow through of like well how do i overcome that and how do i in the visualization do that so that way if something does go wrong if something isn't you've already pictured it and mind and went through and you were already you know what to do so long story short visualization no this mindfulness is and all these work. details i mean the fact this is part of what i think is so fascinating about being a human right is we can both we have the ability to communicate and have the ability to live the life that is Hey, look, I visualize, I visualize success. That has been a huge function of my being able to reach that. And there's this little part of me that I run through scenarios where when everything goes wrong, how do I redeem it or how do I fix it? And you visualize yourself sort of fixing, you know, mistakes as a part of your either performance, as you said, or presentation, or in your case, as a, a Paralympic level athlete, I think that's fascinating. Now, is there some ratio of positive experiences to negative ones that you visualize? Or is it 90-10? Is it, how do you, how, how? Oh, well, for me, I need to get better at this because I'm my own worst critic. So I'm like, <laughs> I started out at like 80% bad, 20% good because I didn't allow myself and a little part and a huge part of me was afraid to be good, afraid to maybe actually achieve that goal because then my mind and thoughts go and like, oh my gosh, then I'm going to have to keep doing improving it. And it's a very different thing. And then it kind of transitioned to now it's like, um, I'd say it's like 90, 90, okay, maybe like 85, 90 on a good day percent, God. really good outcome, my ideal race ever. 
And then will allow myself to have, oh, shoot, I forgot to do this and I didn't do this and pivot really quickly. And in and for me, I found that it's when I visualize myself in those moments, in those like um, parts where something goes wrong that you don't expect, you practice it there. You'd be surprised by how it translates to your life here because you've already spent some time there and whether it's like 2% of it. Um, and like, okay, wait a minute. I know how to, I feel comfortable with this. I know I'm going to do this. I, I saw myself doing this and I'm working with it. I think, yeah, there's the, the stoic philosophy does a lot of like, what's the worst that you can imagine? Or as you mentioned, your, you know, your earlier, your strength coach, I think like how that actually can set you up for, wow. Well, the worst is in, in the case of Olympic race is I don't win or <laughs> I get last out of eight, but you know, and then you start to be comfortable with the fact that, hey, mistakes happen. Eighth in the world is is okay, and I'm going to get up to fight another day. Whatever the, the I I I really appreciate you sharing this because not too many athletes are willing to come on the show and confess that hey, there's a part of me that catastrophizes like <laughs> horrible outcomes. Um, but that that the dominant, you know, again, I think you said 85%, like that seems to me that this mindset, and again, from the book, this mindset that you have, it, is it something that you have developed? Is it something you've put a lot of work and energy into? Is it from birth because you were, you know, handed a, a, a differently abled body than others? Where has this strength this inner strength come from? Is it something you've actively programmed or do you feel like it was um, something that you had to do given your circumstances? I think I think it's a little bit of a mixture of both of everything that you just said because I think the environment I grew up from a young age, it I just didn't realize and put the words to what it was creating in me because to me it was my normal. And when you have to fight for food and try and make food last for sometimes like two weeks because you don't know when the next meal is going to be coming or any of these things and things that are out of your control. So it's just more just appreciating to wake up that morning because you don't know. Not a lot of people get to see that. And you see, and I saw that in the orphanage system. And so it's just that became a part of my DNA, that resiliency, that fight and determination and I couldn't give up because if I gave up, then I wouldn't be here talking to you and rambling on about these about these things. And um, but then also, it's 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 like the team around me that I was mentioning too. That my mom is like my number one um, influence in my life. That taught me we could not be any more opposite. She loves to read. She's just such a homebody and very diff, not very competitive. I'm like competitive. I've been banned to play risk. I can't play games anymore because I'm so competitive. At the family functions. Yes. I'm that person that takes it. There's the line and I am like on another planet of it. And I never learned my lesson, but I'm just a passionate person. And that's what I say. Um, and I learned through her, like she, the, the process and what she fought for me to get me in the adoption process that it's more detailed than that book. And um, also just constantly in society, always being told and allowing other and allowing their perception of me, of how they view me on based on my so-called limitations of having no legs. It was just constantly a battle of proving people wrong, showing what I can do, showing what's possible. And that resulted in me doing the same thing to myself. And I looked in the reflection, which then were all these attributes of that, I think the biggest one was like in what helped me get in the sport is just like, well, I can't tell you, I can't say, oh no, my legs are just like an accessory like your glasses. I still can do X, Y, and Z. It's just going to look different. The best way to do it was by showing it and through my actions and not trying to articulate something that someone doesn't understand. I don't know. I hope that that's, made sense of what uh, no, I just that, said. No, that, that's, that's huge. I think um, a lot of us, there's an Alan Watts quote just about, I think it's called the overthinker, which is someone who is constantly living in their head. Um, and that thoughts actually, you know, they, they 
can be helpful or harmful, but they don't actually measure anything. It's what you do that ultimate, that ultimately matters. And by showing rather than explaining, I think that's a, that, that default to action. That's the thing that I took away from reading about you and learning about you. I want to go back because, uh, again, let's just assume that a listener right now, this is their first exposure to you. And I have the benefit of obviously having researched you and, uh, and we've glossed over this a little bit, but you were born in the Ukraine and you mentioned in, in your, uh, introductory comments that from the Chernobyl disaster, uh, there you were in utero and had a lot of radiation and that you were not, you, you just talked about being a double amputee above the knee. Mm-hmm. There was also a bunch, a bunch of other, um, uh, curve balls that you, you essentially are a miracle, like half of a stomach, one kidney. And then because, uh, the parent, your parents, uh, your biological parents, uh, like were worried about, uh, the, the costs of such you were in the orphanage system and mm-hmm. you know, all, everything that we've talked about so far against the backdrop of, uh, a, a more typical upbringing would be heroic, but then you layer this stuff in there and this is where your story starts to take on a completely different universe for anyone who's, you know, who, who reads into it. How, how has that shaped you? Oh man. Um, I think it, it was really a long journey and to really valuing myself and loving myself and loving what I saw in the mirror, because what people will learn is, uh, I was, so I was born with my legs, but I had them amputated later, but I did have a slew of things that affected all of my body and my muscles and stuff. And it, it was, I, and I just hated what I saw because I had those visible scars and everything that was happened. But I also had invisible scars that were like that scar tissue that will just never go away that I knew. And I really, it's, in, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I just didn't really value myself. I didn't love myself. I hated where I came from and at it. I didn't just wake up one day and was so determined, was so positive, used all my tools that I have learned. It's how I've, it's in that process of when I first got into sport, that was my therapy. And that's where I processed it all for me was at 13 when I was by myself on that boat, on the water. And there's something so powerful with water being on it. And that's where I started processing all the things that I went through and learned how to use that as a healthy fuel, as a healthy outlet to release all these things because I had to release everything that I suppressed and denied would happen, especially especially when um, my body came with so many scars when my mom adopted me. I wanted to finally take control of my story. And I think that's kind of like how that all shaped me is I didn't want to be known as that orphan that was abused, that was the shouldn't make it, and mixed with the, my own question of why, why was I the one to make it out of the orphanage? And that why kind of transitioned into like, I'm meant to be here for a reason and I'm going to make every day count. And I guess that's kind of how it, in a very complex way of trying to put it into a sentence, how it shaped me. This is... I mean, this is why this is so powerful because these are, these are concepts for which words are very difficult. Like, and I'm just, I'm, I'm watching you, you know, share this with us in real time. And it seems like I'm going to paraphrase you're like, well, where do I begin? It's been a hell, hell of a long road. <laughs> kind of like, oh, okay. So we got four hours to cover years one through seven. <laughs> so this uh, also a big piece of your memoir, which I would like to call it out right now. Um, the, the hard parts, a memoir of courage and triumph. There's a, obviously you've mentioned a couple times already, your mom who was 
just indefatigable on the 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 adoption process because that was difficult and mm-hmm. nonlinear and how hard she fought for you and the the story goes um that she looked into your eyes and <laughs> that is what kicked off this process i'm wondering if you can walk us through a little bit about that journey i think your mom was a professor and yeah. um and what was that like to be on the receiving end of someone just deciding that this is my mission and and you were the you're the recipient of that that love or that focus that attention that we're going to we're going to make this better oh my gosh my mom i mean that's like you just said like it's hard to put all these things into words and where do i begin and that's exactly my mom there's no words that exist in any dictionary language here that exist yet to describe her because it's just nothing's going to compare to who she is and what she's done and um she she connected with my eyes and why it was so special is because she wanted a baby. When she knew she wanted to adopt, she wanted to adopt a baby because she didn't want to adopt a grown child that may have or may not have had bad experiences that would then shape their life moving forward that you cannot unwrite those experiences or erase them. And she, but then she found came across a picture of me that was not the most flattering picture of me but thank god she saw something there and she chose to she chose me out of everyone and she and i was at that time five years old and what she didn't realize was i knew of her and the orphanage director told me about her and said do you want to get your picture that process that is more detailed in the book took two years of just political bureaucracy and a whole lot of just challenges. And she never gave up on me at all into those two years, even though she was being pushed and encouraged to, you can go to Russia, you can adopt a baby, you can, ha- you can have a child when you're, when the baby that you wanted to begin with. And she stuck with me. I also knew this one was different and my mom was different and looking at picture her in her eyes, I knew she was going to be my mom this time because all the other times, I there's two specific families I remember that would come and said they were going to be my parents and would adopt me, and they never came back. I saw kids that would leave with families and kids who were not always chosen because we were older. We were the older ones. And the reason why this felt different is that I never met her when she never came to Ukraine. It was all just based on pictures. And I felt so connected and I felt like looking into her eyes in that picture, I've known her for my entire life. And like you said, she was a professor and she adopted me a single parent. She wasn't married. And I mean, I feel like I love my fiance now, but I feel like my mom and I are like each other's biggest love story. And just her love is truly not that it erased all the horrible things, but it was so powerful. It helped me be the person I am now and see the possibilities and help me love life for what it has to offer. And and then she finally came two years later in the middle of the night. And I'll never forget that moment when I finally got to see her face. Just Can you describe that to me? Oh, my gosh. I feel so bad because when she came... She had dark brown hair, and I swear, before we left Ukraine in like that month time period, it was, I already turned her hair gray, and I think she realized, (laughs) oh my lord, this girl (laughs) is exactly, she's about to be eight, she's got her opinion, and she thinks her opinion's right, and she's, (laughs) and everything like that. And I was a little sassy and determined and and, and feisty, which I think that environment made me, and um, that, but so that night, that day she was supposed to come. There was delay in trap in travel, Arab travel, and she find and I was afraid to go to sleep because I thought if I closed my eyes and went to sleep, she would not be there. And if I kept my eyes open and stayed awake, she had to come. And that was my train of thought. And then so I threw a big hissy fit, got in trouble, and then finally got tucked into bed where I could not move at all. And all of a sudden, I hear like some rumbling and my mom and this pressure on the bed and sits down and 
meals by the side. And then there's my mom, my aunt Sherry, who I call Titka Sherry, which is aunt in Ukrainian, um, was there with our translator and then the director of the orphanage and some caretakers all around the bed. And they're like, Oksana, we have someone that wants to meet you. And then my mom kneels down. And I was like, so my mom and I didn't speak English. Like, I didn't speak English. My mom didn't speak Ukrainian. And I'm Ukrainian. I know you. You're my mom. And that was the first words I told her. And she said, and I know you. You're my daughter. And instantly, I, my dream came true. I literally, my mom dreamed of having a family, a big kids, big, a lot of kids, big family. And I just dreamed of a mom. Every time I wanted a family, I, I didn't really dream of a dad. I didn't dream of anything else. I just wanted a mom. And both of our our dreams were answered in, in that moment. And then she gave me a stuffed animal and I went to bed for the first time ever in that orphanage with a smile and just feeling this weird, fuzzy feeling inside. I think it was happiness in that moment. Wow. I'm not crying. <laughs> Um, to, to then return to the United States and establish a new life. Was that, was your day to day, your day to day was different, I'm guessing, but what, how about your mentality? Was your mentality different because you had had this dream answered? Did this begin the world of possibilities were, were there other things at work? I honestly chase that's exactly where I feel like that night in the world of night is where my life really truly began and where I was actually started living was the minute my mom came and we left Ukraine and I was so afraid. I was afraid of flying over the ocean and I was terrified of learning English and I was convinced I was going to teach my mom Ukrainian and I'm not going to learn English. And then our first fight was, she was fighting over my name and she was going to change my name. And then I fought for that. And that's where my mom realized, oh, dear Lord, <laughs> this is not going to be what I thought it was going to be. We got a live one. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got a live one here for sure with a lot of sass. And, um, and then so I was like, I, yeah. And, um, but I literally describe it for that viewer, I guess, who doesn't know and because it has never been adopted and doesn't know the experience. But if you watched Annie, you'll see where she leaves the orphanage and then is being carried by Daddy Warbots or whatever into that his house or hotel. And that's exactly what it was. It was just all of a sudden, I've never seen so much light. We both didn't sleep because of time change. So our first experience was Walmart of my entire life. And I've, because <laughs> it's open 24 seven. And that's where my mom's like, well, this is the only thing that's open. And I have never seen the amount of food in just that much color and things were just there. They weren't like locked up or high where you could look and see, but, um, and then you could just like reach the apple and touch it. And I was small enough. I, I sat in the cart with the legs come out facing her and I was just in awe because I've never seen color. I've never seen our orphanage was freezing. You could see people were chipping ice away on the floor from the radiators leaking and freezing and breath, your breath and stuff. And it was just amazing. But then also the other side of it, it was too amazing, too comfortable, too safe. I didn't know those feelings. I didn't know those words. I didn't know those situations so I thought the transitions the hardest was at night trying to sleep because it was not what I was used to at all so then I would try and sleep on the floor and look at it it was it was a it's a weird balance of of that transition I don't uh I don't quite know how to get into this next topic the it, it's because there's this relativity trap that I get into. It's like, well, Oksana, you experienced, you know, these sorts of hardships and nine out of, you know, 99 out of a hundred of our listeners or watchers may never have experienced something as difficult as you have. But in the end, it does, it's not really about the sort of the, the, you know, who has, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who has it harder? And this is, so allow me to stumble through this. 
and yet there's clearly we have something very special to learn from you and your story but what is it that you could you know is there something you feel like you can tell um like again right go back to a challenge that our listeners are having right now and someone right now is stuck in a really hard place and hearing your story might make their like oh gosh well you know I, I don't have that degree that like that, that what, what Oksana has overcome is. See, and I, this is something that people say to me too. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. And then I hate when people say, you had it so much worse. You had it so hard. My stuff doesn't compare at all to you. And it's not like you said, it doesn't, that's not at all. We all had our, of shit to deal with excuse my french this, but bring like it, bring it <laughs> yeah but like it's just like our level on shit and it's just different and mine is different than yours and to that listener that's listening or to that person somewhere else we don't know i've never walked in their shoes you we do not know and it's not about who had it worse what experience anything because it was unique to us and into our moment only but the whole reason why I shared my really scary things that I was so afraid to share and my experience of the shoes and the path that I walked was so someone to realize that these moments of the hard parts that you're living in right now, they're not your forever moments and you will not be in that moment forever at all. And you can take that control of it and it starts only with you and the mind and it's a process and you know, just like I look back at my, what I learned writing this was, oh my gosh, my upbringing from where I started to where I am now literally is parallel to me in my sporting world. Like when I learned about the Paralympics, I was told I'm too small, I'll never make it as an athlete. I learned about the Paralympics, wanted to make it. I did not make my first Paralympic team. I transitioned to a different sport and did not make the first national team in the first two years. There's so many hurt, like so many setbacks. And then to get to where I am. And, but it's just knowing that it is going to get better. This moment you're in right now is not your forever moment. And I wanted to share how, what someone may view as, oh my gosh, I just can't fathom it. You're right. I can't fathom the experience you're living in, your hard moment, because I'm not in it. I can't fathom it at all. I can try. But what we can do together is know that these are not the moments we're stuck, are not stuck forever. And that's kind of a help for people realize that. And you always have the ability to rewrite your moments, rewrite your ending and rewrite those scars and give them your meaning, not based on what, if you have the invisible scars, if you have the visible scars, if you have that setback don't let that define you and that's how you view yourself in the mirror mm. i hope that makes sense oh it makes and this is it's a this is part of that that relativity thing i appreciate you just attacking because that's something that that i i was i've been thinking about for a couple of days in advance of this conversation like how do you get into that be you know thoughtful about it recognize that this does happen and i just i really really genuinely appreciate your answer and the vigor with which your answer you can i know why your mom saw you as spicy (laughs) i'm matt caliente pepper yeah pepper that oh boy um i want to focus on the ghost pepper that's right that's the hottest one one. exactly (laughs) so i want to focus now on this concept i think you used the word adaptability whatever you know there's probably a bunch of other words but to me, this seems like it has been the theme, right? In, you know, go back to being in the orphanage, you were adaptable. You talked about chipping ice off the floor and then it was, you know, how do you get enough food? And then it was when these families are coming in and going and, and then when you didn't make the team and when, you know, this is, this is the beauty of the story is that you articulate this so clearly and yet this is not the story that most people get when they see someone standing on a podium somewhere um or you know breaking through or having their 
startup acquired or having a, you know, a, a successful book. We don't see all of those things. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering if adaptability, is that your superpower? Or if not, what is? And <laughs> if it is, then talk more about, talk more about adaptability. I think, um, I don't know if I have a, if that's my superpower, but I guess in some ways I've learned how to make that a stronger power that I have, that we all have the ability to do. Um, because otherwise, if you don't adapt, you're stuck in that moment. And then then that's kind of based on like what, <laughs> living in that what if, the thing that terrifies me, like what if, what if I actually did do this and walked outside or whatever. Um, I had, I had to be adapt, like adapt to my environment and learned it really early on and just didn't realize that's what I was doing because when I was doing it, I was just living my only normal that I knew. But why, like, I love my sport cross-country skiing because no matter how, what you achieve, the conditions from when you start a race and you ski one lap, it will not ski the same the second time around, the fourth time around and into the finish, it changes. So I have to be adaptable and be and have that like make that my strong tool in my in, in my tool bag because then I apply it to like I know how to and I'm in relaxed as I'm adapting to that new normal that new change and um it definitely I guess you're right it, it has become my it seems a superpower yeah it seems so clear to me obviously from the outside but that's why I'm asking like and I realize it's a loaded ask. Like, is this your superpower? You could say, nope. I mean, it's, it wouldn't make My for a very- superpower technically is drinking obscene amount of coffee and still being able to sleep. No problem like a baby. <laughs> okay, then. All right. I used yeah. to be able to do that. I do not have that skill anymore. And I don't know if that's a skill I want anymore, frankly. I, I would I would take this other adaptability skill that you've got. Uh, no, it's, But I think we all have it. And yeah. I mean, like, it's just, the thing is, to me, people see me with my um, prosthetic legs as it's more just bam in your face because they're like, all of a sudden, I call these bad boys my like, my, they're my accessory. You know, you have your earrings, you have your watch, you have your sunglasses, whatever. I got my legs. They're my accessory. And it took a process for me to not hide them. And there was a transition from me trying to cover them up. But then I realized what I was covering up also made people look at it in a very negative light and because they were they had no idea and i know like you know what and the power of sports helped me learn that i love myself love my body that i'm in that i just shredded off all the foam so people can see what it looks like and see how i'm adapting to my environment to go to that same coffee shop get that gas what i don't like is how people are like oh my gosh bless your heart thank you like you're so inspiring and I'm trying to reach the top row of paper towel that the person took the last one and I have to like get it still because we all need paper, toilet paper or something <laughs> or gas and it's like that shouldn't be the inspiration my act of doing this is an inspiration it's just it's just like your glasses but what you should see is oh okay so she's doing it differently from what I never thought about and you still can do it okay so then I will know how to adapt now to my things that I'm in the situations I'm in. And that can be physically, it can be mentally, it can be in different positions of work. You're, you're, you just had an injury in your sport and you need to adapt to a new way of training, which I know plenty of, which stinks. Thank God I have no legs because I got really used to unadapting them. How, how often have you said what you just said right there? Thank God. Oh, thank man. God. Thank Thank God I have no legs because then I would have, you know, these pesky legs that other people have like that to me. Yeah, that- we have a love hate relationship, to be honest, my legs and I, they're great. And then sometimes like I say those comments, thank God, but thank God I would not be the athlete. I wouldn't be competing for Team USA without my legs. And I have a quality better of life because of them able to walk the legs that I had. They were not. They were not good. They're just it's just skin but that was doing nothing for me. And I've learned how to like make jokes about these things. I call them my better half. I mean, 
Aaron, my fiance, is kind of like, well, okay. But <laughs> well, they have like what better am I, half. Then? Chop liver? <laughs> yeah, chop liver. Well, you know, compared to these, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we can use these legs to chop some liver. Let's go, Aaron. Let's go. <laughs> uh, can you tell me your, yeah. your uh, the brief story of Aaron? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, the fact that it took him eight years and three months to finally propose to me. No man, if any guy's listening, don't do that to your girlfriend or your partner in life because that's that's just not fair. I thought I started introducing him as I'm like, this is my boyfriend of eight and a half years almost. His name's Aaron. <laughs> so that's a but he's also a Paralympic athlete and he's also a dual sport athlete that competes in the winter and summer. And that's how we met is cross country skiing for the first time in um our first winter games was both Sochi in 2014 and we were, we were friends. I had no idea. I, I really, he had a great beard. He had good, he looked, he was really nice on the eyes, but the <laughs> biggest thing is he had a high level for coffee, a high level standard for coffee. It wasn't just Folgers and or Maxwell <laughs> like, Oh my God, I need to talk to this person and get to know him. <laughs> and it just kind of, so he also, when I say Paralympic athlete, because, um, his stories in there as well a little bit. He was, when he was 13, he was hunting with his dad and was shot by a hunter and it paralyzed him. And so he's in a wheelchair. And it's so frustrating. People see us walking and they're like, we're <laughs> like that spiciness that ghost pepper came out again because I'm that level. And he's, he's like that mild one where he keeps me level-headed and it's like a good balance together. Because we were walking, we were going to dinner and some person just walked out and, and looks does a massive double take. It's like, oh, wow, good for you guys. Good for you that you're still going out. And I'm like, as opposed to what? We, we have to eat. I'm a, I'm a girl. I'm, a, I'm allowed to be taking on a date and have a nice date night. Like, why does that, because he's in a wheelchair and I have no legs, make it this inspirational thing all of a sudden? Because would I say that to someone that has blonde hair, hanging out with someone with brown hair? I'm like, wow amazing thank you like no we don't do that and it's just a physical thing and it's that thing of like adaptability we we do it in different ways and that's what adaptability to me means it's just like there's no right and wrong way to do something it's just different and it's learning what's going to help you society needs to change their minds of accepting things are different and there's more than one way to approach something thank you for helping us see that um, no, I, honestly, Sorry, I just no, want to this, the, but this is like, this is so core to your story. I think not just your accomplishments, but this, the message that you've shared with us on a couple of different axes here through our talk. Um, the, I guess let, let's put the backdrop of sport onto your life. You've said several times how sport was your therapy and it actually has it sounds like it taught you a lot about adaptability when you did make the team in the first sport and so you had to change sports and you, um is sports the only way through is that just your way is uh you know are there things pieces of advice you'd give to other people i'm a like lifelong jock myself so this is really natural and obvious and i'm trying to think about someone who's listening to the show and who hasn't had sport, would you invite them into it because of the, the dynamic parallels that it has to life? Um, or do you know other folks who, um, who have advocated for something? You, you mentioned your mom is not at all an athlete, and yet she seems to possess a lot of these you know, core mm -hmm. attributes that we talk about here, adaptability. And um, I'm wondering if you can just talk about you know, the, the backdrop of sports and your thoughts if someone didn't have that, should they go seek that or are there alternatives? Well, of course I'm going to be biased because I am a fellow jock like you. I'm like, yes, everyone, and I'm biased to rowing. Everyone get into <laughs> rowing boat and you will finally see. <laughs> but that's just my little tidbit. But no, I think for me, I was never, I was put into therapy and I was not good. My, I, my, I did not, I would not talk. I was that stubborn one that made their life very hard and their job very hard. So then my mom put me in art therapy and I didn't like the fact that, oh, okay, wow. I was talking, I was through the art, I was drawing things and then they saw, and then that resulted into talking. So I realized I'm not a talker. I don't want to talk about things. 
I don't want to process it in my mind. That's not how I cope with things. I wasn't ready to cope with it in that way, in that time frame. And I think these are all things when people, I think sports does have that power to do that. You just sweat it out, sweat the anger, sweat the frustration. There's, I've recently had running legs and started running. And um, it's just sometimes it's really freeing to just run while you're crying. And it's, but so I, for me, it's, I'm a physical person. I have to feel that release. It's like when you like slam that pillow or something, you just, it's that release that you feel. And that's at that time of my thick of healing and learning and rediscovering. And also sports played a part in me because I was at the same time, I was already had my one leg amputated. But when I was 13, I was told, we can no longer save your second leg. We have to amputate it too. So I was given this hard decision unmixed with a lot of memories that I just suppressed so deep from Ukraine that were starting to come up because my box got full from that and the locks just burst open. And it was this huge, two different experiences were hitting at the same time. And that was my way to just scream with without needing to scream out loud. And that's how I got my release. And then it just turned out that, oh my gosh, this was my therapy, but now I can chip away and harness it and see what it transitioned and brought out. Oh, I love competing. I'm a very competitive person. But I have friends and people who have also, their way of dealing it is internally. They process it internally. And so they write a lot. They write in their journals. They do have that person that they talk to because they have to talk it out. They're, they cannot, they're not physical in that way where it's enough for them to release it through that. And so I guess it's, and then I've had people say like, wow, it's so amazing that you found your outlet. You found your passion. And I am lucky that I found my passion. But we can, I feel like all find our passions when you really learn. And that's where like mindfulness and giving yourself time to just learn you, yourself, who you are, the way you process things, and then get those hobbies that bring those things out in you. And then that in a way will become its form of therapy and coping or bring out the thing that you had no idea, like you're naturally good at. And by doing it through just letting out through therapy, it all of a sudden, you put all these hours in and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, now I'm an artist. Now I'm an author. Now I'm an athlete. Now I'm a doctor. Like you have so I think it's, um, it's, it's different. You have to know who, how you, how you're wired in a way to approach it. Yeah. That quote, know thyself ends up becoming like key, really? key to a well-lived life. Um, but you should all get in a boat. Which <laughs> if you haven't done a boat, row. <laughs> yeah, um, I I get have got into a and the erg at the gym is not considered rowing for everyone <laughs> okay. watching. They're like, oh yeah, I'm a rower. I erg. Ooh, no. If you love that, you're gonna love getting on the boat. <laughs> okay, noted. <laughs> I won't tell you about my rowing experience because it's not pretty. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Mine involves rowing a boat that is like a rowboat, and it's very not like rowing a racing boat. <laughs> um, I actually, we, uh, my wife and I live on a lake, and it is a lake that is dominated by uh, rowing. It is so oh. incredible to, yeah, I just sit in the stands there and watch the timing. That there's no motorboats allowed on this row except yes. the, except the one. Uh, the coach. The shoot, the, yeah, the launcher. Yeah, but oh my gosh, I have developed a huge appreciation for it over the last you know couple of decades that we've been living. Okay, in well particular... then there you go. So you are right there. So you have to. <laughs> I guarantee you, there's a rowing club there that you can just try it on a Saturday. I feel <laughs> rowing aside. I feel like you see me side stepping that one, right? Um, <laughs> I feel like I would be remiss for not asking you about the current political global situation that's going on in Ukraine. And I'm wondering if you can share how your story framed against the backdrop of your, you, you know, being born in Ukraine. And now here we are with this, um, this horrible 
catastrophe that's going on. I'm wondering, I just wanted to open the floor if you wanted to say anything about that, um, how you, and no obligation, but I just would feel remiss without identifying that this is certainly interesting to say the least that it's happening, um, that your story is happening with this um, global tragedy in the background. Yeah, honestly, I was just reflecting about this too. The release of my memoir is taken, it's being done so just days apart because my book's coming out February 21st. Ukraine, the invasion started February 24th. And what what I a lot of people don't know is that was the day before I was leaving for Beijing for the Winter Paralympic Games. And I did not want to go at all because I thought it was so selfish to just all of a sudden be an athlete, race for my own personal, um, my personal goals when my home country where I still have family and I still have dreams of meeting one day and going back there with grown-up eyes in the place. I, w- I went there in 2015, but not to the place where I grew up as an adult. And I want to go there with a voice because the last time I was there in that area, I left with no voice. And I... My identity is Ukrainian. I identify as Ukrainian. I always have, just like I said, like I didn't want to learn English. I was going to teach my mom Ukrainian. I was so proud to be Ukrainian from day one. And I always remembered that where I came from. And this breaks my heart because I do have, I do have family there and I have dreams and goals that can only come true in Ukraine. And I think some people have asked, well, but you've also had this horrible experience in Ukraine, but that's not Ukraine. These are just bad eggs, that bad situations that happen everywhere, even here in the U.S., happen in these situations. And I wanted to shine that light so those kids can have a different experience and get rid of what is going on globally. But the fact that this is approaching a year now, it is heartbreaking, and I am trying my best to bring awareness here from my side and my team I know in Beijing my coach was saying like well you should go because so many people are connected to Ukraine through you because of your Ukrainian heart and your love for Ukraine and you're it's very apparent it's always there and and that's why I decided like you're right if I'm the start line I'm representing something more than myself more than my own goal is being a Ukrainian American. And I wanted to show along with the Ukrainian athletes that were there, that resiliency that is, I think what the world's seeing of all Ukrainian people is it's in the DNA of every Ukrainian person. And it is a part of who I am and has helped me be where I am. And I'm hoping to be a part of rebuilding it somehow and I will forever be Ukrainian in my heart and I I know in my heart too that they're gonna win and it's gonna be good but it it's definitely heartbreaking and I really appreciate you asking because it's definitely something that I I follow so close probably too close um well thank you for sharing that uh it's it is not an accident that you're on the show and that this is happening and that in back in the Ukraine and the fact that it is eclipsing a year now. And, um, I'm, it, it's beautiful to hear that, that you're the passion that you have for it. And obviously the, that, the dynamic between Ukraine and their adversaries has, you know, just that will is indelible. Mm-hmm. It is, so powerful and i think it's made a mark on the world as have you uh, ghost pepper <laughs> i think i'm gonna have to keep that one there you go that's your yeah you're gonna have that uh inscribed on the leg somewhere like a little la- yeah. laser etching or something i don't know yeah and it's great because i will not feel that tattoo <laughs> uh thank you so much i want to just call attention to for, for, the, for those listening, The Hard Parts, A Memoir of Courage and Triumph. Uh, it's out now by the time we release this show. Thank you for giving us an advance peek and for coming on the show here in advance of the release of the book. Um, you're 
you're an author now in addition to all these damn medals uh, oh my gosh that makes me sweat just thinking about it like a good sweat i'm like a man in a woman's body i swear like too much that's why i'm always wearing black my aaron calls me johnny cash because i'm always in black well hey look at us there we go i know here we go um thank you so much for being on the show it is an absolute treat i'm grateful to know you and um, your work is clearly inspiring to so many, and you're about to reach a whole new universe having this beautifully packaged book that you've got with your story um, from me and our community here at, uh, at the show. Thank you so much for being a guest. We are huge advocates and will support you in, in buying the book. Again, it's called The Hard oh Parts. Um, anything that you'd like to share on the way out the door? I mean, it's just been an absolute treat. I'd talk your ear <laughs> off for another hour, uh, but I want to respect your schedule. I know you're busy here yeah. with the press. No, I, I don't think so. I think just like what, um, you know, one quote I live by is by Coco Chanel, which is to be irreplaceable. One must always be different. So look at your differences as what's making you irreplaceable and not as a negative mark on your body. And Chase, it's an honor to now be part of the author club with you alongside you and call myself that. I can't believe it. And thank you for letting me talk to you and ramble your ear off. Oh, I love it. I'm grateful. And again, for anyone out there in the world, highly recommend The Hard Parts, A Memoir of Courage and Triumph. Oksana, thanks so much for being on the show. We are going to be following you very closely from here <laughs> forward. And until next time, from myself and everyone out there in the world, um, Oksana, we all bid Anyone who's listening out there right now, watching, we bid you adieu. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests, either on social media or through my text community, all of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away all of that has a collective, massive, positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together.